If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. While you're turning there, I did do something today for the first time. I probably needed to do it a long time ago because I wear glasses. I use the big print bulletin. Man, this is awesome. <laughs> Those of you with glasses understand. I still have to use my glasses to read it, but uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so thank you, Don, for doing that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, as we worship you this morning, we first of all thank you, Lord, for how you blessed all of us in our lives individually, and we ask, Lord, that the tithes and offerings that have been given to you, that, Lord, that you will give us the wisdom that is necessary and needed, that we may meet the needs of our congregation, that we may continue to faithfully support the missionaries that uh, we pray for and that we uh, um, are behind. We just thank you, Father, for the finances you've given us, and we just pray, Lord, that we would use it in a very wise way to honor you. And fathers, we also continue to worship you. We now turn to the point in our service where we focus our attention on your word, and in particular, Father, in the epistle of 2 Corinthians. And we ask that you would enable us to understand and to grasp these things that Paul is saying, what he's teaching, that we would glean from the word of God, Father, how we may apply the truths that are here to our lives and become more like your son, Christ. As always, we thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. When we get to this passage, you can read it quickly and, and miss this, I guess. But if you, if you really look at what Paul is saying, Paul really now gets down to the nitty gritty and he comes down hard. You know, we, we've talked about these super apostles, these intruders, and a lot of the emphasis through the time has been how Paul's reacted to their accusations, that he's not much of a speaker, that he's not as spiritual as they are, that he's not, you know, he doesn't have the credentials that they have, all those kinds of things. And there's not been a lot said about necessarily the, the things that they're actually teaching, though they're not really, they're not teaching the way that, that Paul would teach. They're not teaching necessarily the things that he taught. There, there may not have been a big variance, but, but the issue has been about just what they've been saying about him and kind of their personal attacks. But now as Paul continues on, he, he lets us know that this is not just a clash of personalities within the church. These are not just flawed individuals who love Christ. He comes right out and says that um, in comparison to Satan, that just like Satan, they disguise themselves as angels of light or as individuals who teach the light. That's what he does. Remember last week, he, when we were working our way through this, when we got to verse 12, you know, we talked about how Paul kind of went into great detail about how he did not allow himself to become a burden to the Corinthians in any way. And that whatever needs he had, uh, he made sure they were met really by the Lord through other churches that were outside of the area. And that's where he would go to ask for financial help in supporting what he did. Because he wanted to make sure uh, of several things. And I do think 
that not necessarily that he saw this coming, but clearly the Lord did, that these individuals were claiming to work on the same terms that Paul did. And now, so all, you know, in the end, all Paul had to say was, um, so from the Corinthians, I collected not a dime. And you? Well, they couldn't say that. So he wanted, he wanted everyone to know that they did not work on the same terms. No matter how you looked at it, they did not work on the same terms. These men were false. They were counterfeit. These, they were counterfeit apostles. They were deceitful workers. Uh, that is in the present tense of the Greek, which means that they were continually that way. That, that, I guess you can look at it this way. They always had and always worked from an arterial motive. Even if they were dispensing the truth of the gospel, their motive was to get people to follow them. That's what makes sometimes, maybe oftentimes, false teachers so difficult to spot. Because we, it's not that it, we're not, it's not bad or wrong of us to emphasize what people teach. And it's normally how we first recognize false teachers. But that's not the only criteria. Because sometimes we'll, we'll say, well, you know, I've heard so-and-so, and yeah, there's some differences. But here he wants to point out that these differences in their, in their behavior, their differences in the way they handle themselves, their differences in how they handle other issues of ministry besides just the teaching of the word is greatly suspect and that these individuals are working from uh, their own agenda. And the agenda is not to glorify God, to... Uh, magnify the gospel of Christ and to see these individuals come to Christ and to grow. They disguise themselves as apostles, is what he's saying. So he is, I guess you could say, definitely taking off the gloves. He is not mincing words. He is calling a spade a spade. So these are, one, one commentator said this, these false apostles are wannabes. They claim authority, they do not have, for they uh, have never seen Jesus, and unless they repent of their evil ways, they are destined to see the Lord at the great white throne judgment. What we need to recognize is that these men who are deceiving others, they're not playing. They're deadly serious. They work hard at their deceiving trade. There are several passages in the scripture that do talk about false teachers. There is an agreement, I think, in the word of God that, again, it's not just teaching heresy. And that an individual may be a false teacher and not necessarily be teaching what we would call out-and-out heresy. That, the way, that the, what motivates them, the way they treat others, what they say about others is huge. And it's normally in that area that we hesitate to make a judgment call. Now it's true, we do need to make judgment calls carefully. We want to make sure that we are considering all possible aspects of what's going on. And I believe even giving others the benefit of the doubt as often as possible. Amen. But along with that, when things become clear, we, we need to make sure that we identify it and that we take action. These individuals labor at dishonest practices, speaking words that are deceitful. These individuals speak and their words are like traps that they bait with lies in an attempt to trap the unwary, the unalert soul, and to take them captive. Remember that they want to take captive, at times, the unalert soul. 
So there are times when an individual wants to prey on others, they don't just pray, because we sometimes think, well, that they, that they prey on individuals that are just weak believers, those who don't know much. But they also will prey on individuals who may know a great deal about the Bible. But these individuals, really, they just trust everyone. And they always embrace everyone. And I know sometimes we may, we may go in that direction because that's our personality. And I'm not saying that you should become a curmudgeon, but we do need to be discerning. And we do need to recognize that people do sometimes have other motives and we need to pay attention to what is being done and what is being said. Because these individuals, if their desire is to get you to somehow follow them for whatever the reason, that is detrimental to your soul. Not detrimental because, let's say it happens in this church, not because they're gonna, you're going to follow them and not follow me. I don't want you to follow me anyway. But the idea is, is it's not a popularity contest. But if we get caught up with an individual because of their personality or whatever it happens to be, you're not growing as a Christian. Your motive is, is, is moving away from, you may in the beginning say, well, I really want to glorify God in Christ. But we, without discernment, we can go in directions that, again, appear to be faithful to the Scripture, and it's not. Now, all of us can be fooled, and sometimes it's embarrassing, but it, all, it can happen to any of us. But when we do discover, or it begins to come, become clear, that's where sometimes we make a mistake. We won't say anything. We won't speak up. We might slowly withdraw from maybe being involved, but there's no warning to others. And oftentimes what can happen is, is that when things begin to fall apart, whether it's sooner or later, it has a huge detrimental effect on that individual and then on individuals that are close to that person. There could be, a, you know, there's been more than one individual who has maybe too closely followed a, maybe a very good teacher of the Word of God. And we've heard of those individuals, some of them may fall or fail morally. And even though many individuals handle that pretty well because we recognize that we're, we are sinners and you know, these things do happen, there are some individuals who maybe in a sense quietly begin to walk away from the faith. Do you think that doesn't affect their spouse? Do we think that wouldn't affect their children? It has a powerful impact on all those individuals. Other relationships can become destroyed as a result of that. Because what we understand as believers is all these things are interrelated. And so these individuals who may be, may be in a sense, individuals who know the scripture well, but are maybe unaware or maybe a little naive for whatever the reason, there could be great damage done to those individuals. And I think Paul is very concerned for them. In fact, the bottom line is, is when we begin to recognize that individuals are involved in what we might call smoke and mirrors, they're spiritual charlatans. Turn to 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 2. I could spend uh, a couple of hours on 2 Peter and then the passage in Jude. We won't do that. Um, but these are kind of uh, helping us to, to kind of beef up what Paul is saying. We will recognize that what Paul is talking about, obviously, is not unique. And there are several things in the Word of God dealing with false teachers because it's a, it is a huge problem uh, within the church. 
And he says this in verse 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person so that he is enslaved, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Let me pause for a moment, because normally when, when I've thought about that passage and when I've illustrated that passage, it's easy to, to do this. You, illust, you illustrate it by individuals who've been involved in ministry, who've, who've had a moral failing, usually in the sexual arena, and we talk about those individuals, may, some of them may not have ever become really true believers, even though they, 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 they morally and maybe even physically escaped the corruption and sensuousness of the world because of who they're hanging out with, what they're getting involved in, but then slowly but, but surely, they then become entangled in that world again. And so those individuals are easy to spot and easy to see how they become entangled in sensual sin, even though they overcame it. And so he says their last state has become worse than the first. Part of that's because, in a sense, they're doing so with the knowledge of God, his holiness, and judgment. And they, and they have a knowledge of that. And maybe they become so entrapped, it's, it's as if they are, they've truly entrapped themselves and they're unable to get out. But that's not the only arena that that can happen in. The individual may just simply be an individual who wants his ego to be fed. They, they may, or maybe they just want more money. Or maybe they want power over people or a combination. That individual maybe escapes that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the intellectual message that is there. And so they, they begin to get involved in the world of Christianity, surrounded by Christians and people who are striving to be like Christ, so obviously much more moral. And they then adopt the behavior of those around them. We become more moral, even thinking that that's, that's what we really believe. But then that begins to surface inside of them again. And they begin to recognize that they're able to, you know, they, they, their ego can become fed by others who may not mean to feed their ego, but say, oh yeah, you speak really well, or whatever happens to me, you ought to be in a big church, or I think God has big plans for you. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't say those things to people at times to encourage them. But what I'm saying is for them, they take it, that begins to feed their ego. They're not, they're not saying, wow, God's been really good to me. They're not thinking any of those things. It feeds the ego. They may say the words, God is good to me, but it's feeding the ego and they like it. And so pretty soon that becomes a pattern. But no one else can see that necessarily, not in the beginning. And so they become entangled again in those things that, that drove them before. I want my ego to be fed. I want, to be, I want others to look up to me. I want, I, I, want to, um, I want to have power over them. Now with that, remember this. Now, you know, in my life, I do, I do want others to look up to me. I do. But not because it feeds my ego. I want them to hear what I have to say. I want them to hear the message of Christ. That, that really is my motive. I, it probably wasn't always my motive. There was probably a time it was mixed. You know, I wanted to promote the gospel, but I liked it. You know, we like it. And we have to repent and ask God to forgive us and, and, and to change our hearts. But there's individuals where that doesn't happen, and they continue down that road. And so those individuals can, become an, can get into a state where their last state is worse than the first. So we don't want to only think of this in terms of the big sexual sins and say, well, I could always recognize that and I'll never get caught up in this. And it may not be that. 
And so we need to be aware, not only in the case of, of ourselves being deceived, but maybe uh, you moving in that direction yourself. Because sometimes we may want our egos to be fed, but it doesn't ha- we don't have to be fed only on, let's say, a national stage. I don't need my, necessarily need my ego to be fed on a, on a statewide stage. I don't necessarily need my ego to be fed in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a county or in a city. Whatever group I'm in, whatever groups I'm in, if I can get my ego fed, I like that. And we pursue that. And so that's the warning. Verse 21, For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. There are, there's a, there's a, a selection of verses in the Bible that I think are, should cause us the greatest uh, fear. And that's one of them. The Apostle Peter is saying about another human being that it would have been better for that person to have never known the way of righteousness. Just meditate on that for a while. Imagine someone saying that about anyone or you. To have never known the way? I don't know about you. That first time I came across that where I was thinking about it, we use a phrase in Hawaii, it's chicken skin. It's goosebumps here, but this is I got a shiver at my back. I said, man, that is what an incredible statement. I just I don't want that to ever be remotely true about me. And you shouldn't want that to be true about you as well. And of course, then he illustrates it in verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Turn, if you would, to the book of Jude. You'll more quickly find Revelation. And then just before Revelation chapter 1 is the book of Jude. Beginning in verse 16. There are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. Now, we'll have to stop there. Notice, as he talks about these individuals, that really they're false teachers, those who are disrupting the church and Christian growth. Notice this description. They grumble and they're discontent. They're malcontents. They want to spread their discontent. They're they're not running around screaming heresy. It's their attitude. Their attitude towards others, their attitude towards life, their attitude towards the church or Christianity. And then what do they do? They follow their own sinful desires. So whatever they feel, that's what they follow. That's, where, that's really where they're at. And then he says they're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. It used to be that there was a, tons of stories about, I guess, pastors in the past who've done this kind of thing. Pastors who were very much aware of what people gave in the church. And they would somehow be closer to those who gave larger amounts of money. And the reason why they're doing that is there's an advantage to them, they believe. Whether it's to continue to get that person to continue to give, or maybe trying to find a way to make money off it themselves, whatever it happens to be. But there's a warning there. We're told how they, how they function, how they operate. That's why I make sure I don't do this. I, you know, just so you know, I never, ever, ever, ever see the offering. I mean, I know what the amount is, but every, all of us know what the amount is. But I don't know who. I don't even know who gives. Now, I'll be honest. I can figure it out without ever looking at the offering. But we'll talk about that later. But the idea is, is that it, it, I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't want to know if you give or not. 
We treat everybody the same. That's just how it is. And that's what we need to do. We, you know, and you know why I do that? Number one, don't trust myself. I have a sin. I, have, I was born with a sin nature. I have a natural tendency to go in the wrong direction. And I don't trust myself. And I want God, the Holy Spirit, to lead me in the truth and righteousness and live a holy life. But I don't want to open myself up to unnecessarily temptations that will reveal that I'm actually a lot weaker than I thought I was. So let's not just go there. And that's what I do. And I'll, everyone I know who's a pastor, if I ever hear of a pastor who they're aware of the books or whatever, I say, that's dangerous, brother. You shouldn't do that. You need to get out of that immediately because it can cause a problem later. So again, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, see, these are the predictions. This is the prophecy, I guess you would say, of the apostles. They said to you, in verse 18, in the last time, everyone agrees that no matter what the last time means, we're in it. There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh." One of the commentaries I read, the guy, the individual was using um, this passage here in 2 Corinthians and answering this question, how do you discern a false teacher? And so he, there were four points. Let me share, with them, share them with you quickly. He says, number one, the first sign is that a teacher is false as, as they try to discredit true Christian teachers and preachers. So there's a lot of teachers and preachers of the Word of God that I have a lot of respect for. Uh, my respect for them is, is built on the consistency of their message, the, the depth that they go in their study and, and, and the content of their message, but also what's, what's deeply connected to that, always connected to that, is their own pursuit of holiness as an individual. Okay, that's very important. Um, I know no one's perfect. No one preaches perfectly. We all have flaws. It's all there is. That, that's, that's life. I understand that. But when I meet an individual and they begin to put down one of these other individuals, who most of them I've never met, they begin to put them down I always immediately think, what is up with that? Why that individual? Why are you putting them down? There's usually more than one motive. And he tells us here as we look at this passage that Paul, in the context of what Paul's talking about, that's a sign. So it doesn't mean they are one. It's a sign that an individual may be in that genre or that group. Again, remember what was occurring with Paul, Paul's credentials, his authority, his speaking abilities, all those were questioned by these self-serving individuals. By discrediting Paul's authority, these individuals were trying to, to build up their own following in the congregation that Paul had founded. A second sign of a false teacher is their self-serving methods. In other words, the teachers at Corinth were boasting of their own credentials, comparing themselves to Paul. Uh, their, their, their methods and their, uh, should have been a clue to uh, those that were in Corinth, that these individuals were not looking out for the Corinthian spiritual welfare, uh, but the Corinthians, for whatever reason, were blinded by what was going on and weren't paying attention or didn't recognize these things. A third sign that these teachers were false and deceitful is that their methods were then also causing division and conflict. If any individual was in a church and you really cared about believers and you were to discover that what you said or the way you said things or whatever it is that's going on that you were causing division, that should cause you to immediately fix that by trying to undo whatever you've done and taking full responsibility for it. 
and let people know that, is, that was not your intention. But there have been, in many churches, and this continues to happen all over the place, where an individual tries to find ways to sow discord. Yeah, that's, that's what, and, and it can be simple. It could be, an, it could be a simple. So let's say, let's just say that, uh, now Tom's never done this, so I'm not trying to put Tom down or send a secret message, all right? But let's say that Tom is in your home, he's visiting, he's getting to know you, and then he asks this question, which could be a, a great question. Now, if you were, if you could change anything in the church, what two things would, would you change? What, what two things really bother you? So you're thinking, well, you know, I like this, I like that. And then Tom can say something like, you know, you know, if I was the pastor, I would have already addressed that. And then he just goes on. If, if you're not paying attention, you might miss that. But, well, what do you mean if you were the pastor? Like, is, is, he, is, he, is he throwing out a hint to see where you are on that? Well, you know, Tom, I thought about that. Oh, yeah, I... There's all kind of ways to go there. And there's individuals who, by asking questions and just little things, they, they do, and it's happened in a lot of churches. I've heard all kinds of stories. And individuals, some, and sometimes individuals are so good at that, nobody would ever point the finger at them thinking that that was actually the cause. Remember what Satan did in the beginning when he talked to Eve and he was tempting her? All he did was question what God said. That's all he did. That's how it can begin. Now, if Tom does see you this week and ask that question, it doesn't mean that Tom's doing that. All right? But that's just an illustration. All right? But the idea is, is that it can happen really very subtly, and we need to be on our toes. And so here, um, we need to recognize that if anyone is truly concerned about the spiritual welfare of anyone, even in a church that may have a multitude of problems, the last thing they need is someone to come along and create more division. That's the last thing that needs to be done. It's just not the way to handle that, at least. The final thing is, really, is that these false teachers, you need to look at the message they preached. So that's in there, but that's not emphasized here. And so again, the warning to us, and the message we should take from this, is that again, false teachers are not just spotted by the, by the, the wrong or the error in their teaching. There may be other things that appear first and are more um, recognizable. And again, that's why then in verse 14, Paul then says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So the idea is, is when you think about an angel of light, uh, if you just kind of think of that and kind of try to imagine what that's like, what, what would someone do? How would, what would someone, how would they come across if that's what they were doing? Well, they would come across as being very religious, very kind, uh, very thoughtful, uh, maybe... Um, very generous in giving out compliments, uh, all kinds of things. That, that's how they, it, it's not just the message again, though the message is not being downplayed, it's the, it's the package deal. And again, of course, he says, even Satan, again, this is continually, he continually disguises, or maybe even you could say he transforms himself into an angel of light or to a messenger of light. So Paul's not caught off guard with all of this. He's not surprised by their evil deeds. You know, what we say sometimes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In John 8, basically, um, Jesus is talking about individuals who are like sons of Belial. They are liars, they are murderers spiritually, who they, quoting from John 8, like their father, the devil. Uh, the devil want to do the desires of their father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. They lie because they are born liars who have never been born again. And so again, when Paul tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, it means that Satan capitalizes on our love of the light in order to deceive. So how can we discern which light is of God and which light is of Satan? Our minds and our hearts are easily confused by conflicting messages. How can we make sure that we are on the right path? Well, one really is very simple and very basic. From Psalm 119, from verse 105 and then also verse 130, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It says, In the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So it's not that we're going to have a seminar next week and uh, I'm going to give you the, the, the techniques and the way that you should think about and evaluate things that people say. The way that we all protect ourselves, all of us, is by reading the Word of God. Approaching the Word of God, wanting it to teach me. One of the amazing things that I have seen through the years when it comes to the reading of Scripture, besides the changing of an individual who's become a believer, is I have also seen, if you, if you want to put it in this context, how it can affect individuals intellectually. I have seen inmates, when I was working in the jail every day, I, I have seen inmates who aren't even believers. <laughs> who as they began to read the Bible every day, in a matter of weeks, because it was required in the, in the dorm that I, was in teach, that I was teaching in, they began to think differently. They began to evaluate things. They, didn't, they weren't becoming Christians, but there was, an, a, there was an effect of the Word of God even on their intellect. It wasn't lasting. It didn't change their soul, but it's, it was, I just thought it was incredibly interesting and powerful to see that. And so here what the Bible is telling us is, is that the Word of God gives light and imparts understanding to the simple because it reveals truth to you. When we read the Bible, it reveals to us truth about God, it reveals to us truth about ourselves, and because we're human beings, it's revealing truth about other human beings. It's there. And God is giving us wisdom for everything we need in life. The words of God have great power. Just as God's voice spoke physical light into existence, it can speak spiritual light into the hearts and minds of, of men and women. <clears throat> Exposure to God's voice in his word will help us to recognize the difference between the good light of God and that which is counterfeit. Remember this, that darkness is a result of attempting to find truth without the word of God. Andrew Lloyd Webber was famous for a musical called Phantom of the Opera. A very condensed version of that story. It's about a young chorus girl named Christine Day. She receives, she receives voice training from a mysterious musician that she calls the Angel of Music. She believes this is the angel her dying father had promised to send to complete her musical training. As the plot thickens, we discover that her mysterious mentor is really a demented man who wants to carry her away into a very bizarre underworld that exists beneath the opera house. What the girl thinks is a supernatural agent sent by her father is really a madman who wants to possess her for his own ends. The angel of music here is evil. It is evil masquerading as good. So the believer in Christ also faces an evil one who masquerades. One of Satan's key strategies is to look like someone who is good. Again, Paul said, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 
Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 11 says, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Again, verse 15 that we just read says that their end corresponds to their deeds. Uh, Paraphrase says their ends will be uh, according to their deeds. And another says, in the end, they will get the punishment their wicked, deed, their wicked deeds deserve. Jesus prophetically spoke about these men when he warned us to beware. Let me read finally from you from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. The word beware is an imperative. It is a command to you and I to apply our mind and give attention to something. So be aware. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And it can be so difficult. Once again, notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he says here is, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is a Christian. They claim to be a Christian. And he says, they will not enter the kingdom of God. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do even mighty works in your name? Then I would declare to you to them, then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Again, just so you know, in the Greek language, it's much stronger. It's actually this. I have never at any time known who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. (laughs) So from this, what we need to make sure that we recognize ourselves, because the word of God is a mirror, is to make sure that we don't fall into this category. Whether you pastor a church, whether you teach Sunday school, or maybe you're just giving Christian advice to others, we need to make sure that we don't fall into that category. Number two, we need to make sure that we are aware that false teachers do exist. They come in many forms, many sizes, shapes, and they always are not easily recognized. In fact, the ones who may be the most dangerous are the ones who don't have an easily recognizable message of error because they appear to be righteous men who love God or righteous women who love God. It doesn't mean that we are suspicious of everyone. I, just so you know, I take everyone at face value. You tell me you're a Christian, I believe you. But I don't turn a blind eye. I keep my eyes open. And if I begin to notice things that are inconsistent, I take note of that. I'm not passing judgment to condemn anyone. I just take note of that. 
And if that continues and that goes on and you begin to see more things, it gets to a point that, well, something may need to be said. For that person's sake, much less maybe others that they are able to destroy. I know we live in a time when it seems to be we don't want to be judgmental. And I understand that. I don't want to be judgmental in the sense I'm condemning others. I don't want to be, I don't want to be an individual who says, who, who comes across as if no one else can preach the truth but me. I don't believe that. And I don't want to come across that way. And I know many of you don't want to come across that way. But at the same time, we don't want to pretend as if everyone really is, really does have a great, wonderful motive in their heart. In their heart, they really do love God. Because they don't. They love themselves. And we need to recognize that. For our sake, for the sake of our body of believers, for the sake of our spouse, for the sake of our children, for the sake of new believers who will come and join us later, and so on and so forth. And we may need to take action, which Paul would get to, as to how that's done. It's done in such a way that it's never too, too harsh, in the sense of never being too rapid. Never, we're never going to be too eager to do that. But we, but we need to be brave. We need to be courageous and take a stand when that needs to be done. And it is unfortunate when it has to happen. That's true. Now, don't worry. I'm not preaching all this. You're thinking, uh-oh, Bob's going to come next week. He's going to give us some names and some people in church. I'm not doing that. All right, that's not going on. I'm just simply telling you that's what the Scripture tells us. And we need to be ready, whether it's now or whether it's in the future, to be committed to Christ, the Word of God, and the truth. Stand together to encourage each other, to pray for each other. And when we recognize these things, in the same way that fathers, you're a little wary of the young man that shows interest in your daughter. Same thing. You may, it may look like you're against him from the beginning, but you really want what's best for your daughter. And if he's a really good guy, you're in his corner. If he's not a good guy, then you're going to put him in the corner. That's what we make sure that we do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace, love, and kindness. Father, we do ask that you would give us wisdom. We, we need wisdom because, Father, we know that you have told us and the apostles have warned us and Jesus warned us that there would be those who would come in who, for whatever the reason, to whatever degree, seek to cause discord or cause others to follow them. And we need to be aware, Lord, that that happens and that it's not always obvious. Because as it was pointed out in Matthew, there are those who say, Lord, Lord. There are those who, as Paul has warned us, appear as a messenger of light. So, Father, we pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need and the discernment, not just to recognize it, but then how to handle it. What is the best way that is best, maybe for that individual who may be... Uh, new in that approach, and, and if it's pointed out, that they would repent, but also for the protection of others. Father, we thank you so much again for those that you've placed in our lives that through the years have protected us. Maybe we weren't always aware of what they were doing because they did their job well, but we're grateful. We pray, Father, you would help us to look out for others who may be unaware of wolves in sheep's clothing. And Father, as always, it is possible that an individual here is one of those individuals who has stated they believe in Christ. But as they look at their life, they know that they're still enslaved to feeding their own ego, building their own empire, using others, maybe just living selfishly. We, the list can go on. 
pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict them of the sin that they're in. That, Lord, that you would cause them to feel the, the grief that is necessary and the guilt. And they would turn to you. And Father, for each one who does, along with the angels in heaven, we rejoice. There's no judgment on our part, only happiness and rejoicing. We pray, Lord, that you would work in the heart and soul of those individuals and draw them to yourself. Use us, Father, in the lives of others to bless them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.